0: This is The Blackout Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to The Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that do amazing things. And today I have Abigail Lower. Thank you so much for coming on The Blackout Podcast. You're welcome. So, um, let's start with... How did you get into making your art? Like, how did it start for you?
0: Um, It started probably at the age of three when I was actually homeschooled. So it meant I got to spend a lot of time doing whatever I wanted to do. And that ended up being sitting at the kitchen table, drawing for eight hours a day wow. quite often. And I did that, I probably put in a thousand hours by the time I was 15. Wow. So, um from 3 until 15 i was literally beavering away drawing nonstop i never had any my parents were artists but i never had any art lessons like formal art training. Mm. So I would definitely be an advocate for practice. <laughs> Just put in those thousand hours. Yeah.
1: So like your parents you said they're artists, did
0: they paint, draw? My dad was an architect and an inventor and my mum was a more classic artist like oil colours and yeah Oh yeah. oil. Oh man. I know. <laughs> Big, big nudes, massive nudes. Yeah. They're awesome. Totally different from my art. Yeah, yeah. Totally yeah. different. In fact, I grew up on Picasso and um Gogan and artists that were far more colourful and impressionistic or even like abstract. Mm. So I didn't actually feel very comfortable about my type of art. Like Why? it wasn't it wasn't um as celebrated. Because I'd grown up with my influence being mm. more, like, uh abstract, yeah. then I would draw, like, I'd love the fine detail, mm. but it wasn't what was around me. So I almost felt, like, not 100% comfortable, not 100% proud of what I was doing mm. because that was not what I was surrounded with. So it took me until I was 35 because I had a 15-year gap where I didn't do any art at all. Oh, So at 15... I mastered um, realism, Mm. um, and I had that moment at fifteen where I um, was drawing. I was drawing a droplet of water on a girl's arm, and I could actually draw what was in my head. And it was this synergy. I I had this moment where I realised I can draw what's in my head, and that was. It was almost like. I'd be fascinated to find out if I'd clocked a 1,000 hours by then because it was this (laughs) significant moment where Mm. suddenly everything everything came together and I thought, my hand is connected to my brain function. Mm. I can actually draw what's in my head. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I mastered that, I stopped. Why? Because... Um, it felt like well now I can do it (laughs) (laughs) and then it didn't have I didn't know where else to go with it and Uh... I'd been doing it in pencil I'd never I'd never drawn animals I'd never picked up uh, charcoal so I stopped then from 15 until actually it was like nearly 20 years till I was 35 Mm. before I drew again Mm. and then I I um basically had postnatal depression and was really struggling to just find my place and I picked up a piece of charcoal from the fire here in Nova Scotia so it was you know fast forward 20 years Mm -hmm. and um There was this synergy when I started drawing with the charcoal. I was like, oh, I think I found my medium. And then within 24 hours, I'd drawn my first buffalo. And I was like, oh, I think I found my subject matter. And I realised at that point, the missing element when I was younger is I hadn't found my medium and I hadn't found my subject matter. And that was a really crucial part of feeling energised to do it, which is probably why I stopped, Mm. because I hadn't found those two things. And I'd kind of hit the end of the line as far as what to do next. Mm. So that catapulted me into, you know, the last five years of exploring doing wild animals and doing it with charcoal. And those are two new subject matters and mediums that I'd never done before. Oh. So that all happened within a 24 hour period about five years ago. Wow. And then it was all on, you know, I was like, <laughs> what am I gonna do with this? So I felt hugely motivated to pour a ton of hours into just figuring out what what's my style and what what kind of impression do I want to give and embracing realism because then I was doing something I was proud of I was like actually these pieces are something that even though I didn't grow up with that exposure to realism or an appreciation for it Mm -hmm. I could draw it in a way that I felt like yeah I'm proud of that piece of art and that was a first for me so you are British, right? Oh yes. <laughs> but you live in Halifax now.
1: Yes. Um, and was the journey from England here how How long did it take you to finally? Come so I to left you?
0: England. When was it? Um, you know, like fifteen years ago. Uh, me and my husband basically took a one way ticket to New Zealand um, for work. No, no job. In fact, when we arrived at the airport in New Zealand, they asked, where are you living? And we just said, uh, we're camping. I was like, okay, camping. And they just let us in. And I was like, this is awesome. Um, it was literally everything that I have today comes from a suitcase 15 years ago. Hmm. Like we've built on that suitcase. <laughs> yeah. um, just wanting to have a different type of life, you know, wanting to get out of England and what we felt was a restrictive environment and just create something different restrictive in what way um I think I had i had had exposure to Canada when I was 15 so I'd come out to Toronto where my brother was living and I instantly felt I belonged like Canadian people were my people And it planted something in me where going back to England after that, I just never felt like I fit in. And I think part of that's to do with being homeschooled, because at the time when I was raised in that environment, people thought it was illegal to be homeschooled in in that time, like back in the 80s. Um, so it was very unusual. And as a result of that, it was difficult to fit in, in like university towns where everyone's getting a degree and they're all becoming teachers and doctors and dentists or whatever. And here I am, like, I just don't feel like these are my people. I don't feel... And and I love, like, there's aspects of England and I love, aspects of being British that I love, but... Um, I'm not as private as a typical British person, right? I'm pretty transparent. And and so when I came out to Canada, I'm like, oh, these people are like way more responsive. And, you know, like there was, and I thought maybe it's the new world. Maybe this is what you get in the new world that you can be whoever you want to be. I know you would relate to this, right? Mm. As a like we're both immigrants yeah. and you get to a new country and it's like, you know what, I can be whoever I want to be and no one's going to judge me
2: Yeah.
0: And in your hometown, it just feels like the class system, the rules. There's a lot in England where it comes down to uh, what you do do and what you don't do and where you fit and what class you were born into. And that can feel restrictive oh. if you just... And also the mentality is is much more like, well, that's not going to work because of these reasons. Whereas you come out to here and it's just like, yeah, go for it. You want to <laughs> start a podcast? Fill your boots, you know? Mm. And you're like, you want to be an artist? Well, yeah, we're cheering you on. And it's like, wow, this is a new world mentality mm. that is very refreshing if you've come from the old world, right? And so I thought, I mean, both me and my husband thought, oh, New Zealand might have that same vibe. Mm -hmm. So arrived there with a one-way ticket, no fixed plan, live in a camper van for six months.
1: Wow.
0: No plan, (laughs) like no plan B. Mm. And um, however, the Kiwis, we didn't resonate with them as much Mm. and it felt very isolated from the rest of the world. And there's the island mentality, which is a real thing, you know, you're literally as far as you can get from almost anyone else and when world events would happen just couldn't relate like it felt as if we were removed from all of it yeah. and that felt really strange and it also felt like for kiwis they would only ever know a certain percentage of who i am because they've got a very distinct culture and uh, just that sense of isolation became overwhelming. And then he got a job offer in New Brunswick of all places. And keeping in mind, we'd moved to New Zealand without ever having visited. And then we thought, well, we've got nothing to lose. Let's move to New (laughs) Brunswick having never visited ever. It, 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 you know, it's very small. It's like 5,000 people and it was a bit of a shock, but it was very, um, it was really lovely to be back in Canadian soil and, actually a beautiful community there. So, uh, and uh, that's really where we felt like, okay, we've got the right country, but St. Stephen wasn't, it was a bit too rural for us. And Mm -hmm. then five years later, um, we came to Nova Scotia and that was... The, this is home you know these are like my people this is my place and mm-hmm. so that's been a journey of what you know 14 years yeah fast forward it takes a long time like when again moved to new brunswick without having ever visited moved to halifax without ever visiting and then i got tired of like man you you start in community from from zero mm-hmm. and i've got to create something out of nothing which you know, if you've done that a few times, it gets kind of tiring. So this was the end of the line. Like, <laughs> and especially by that time, I had three kids. Oh, uh, so... One you- in New Zealand, <laughs> one in New Brunswick, one in Nova Scotia. <laughs> and then I got postnatal depression.
1: When you were aware. With
0: my third here. Oh, okay. And um, because it was just too much change. And even what I realised is even good change is hard. Mm. So even though the change was positive it still takes a toll like Mm -hmm. there's still a price tag to that which I definitely felt um you know renovating another house and starting a community from square from scratch you know was really really challenging because often for me like being at home with the kids he gets to go off and have eight hours a day taking care of a job Meanwhile, I've got to invent myself all over again and invent a life for the kids and create a community and create a home. So Mm. the art was a really, really positive direction for me because it was this life-giving outlet that I could do from home while still having little kids. Mm -hmm. And it was a very creative experience to just be able to pour myself into that. It was good for my mental health, helped me get off antidepressants and you know, really start to value um, the artistic realm is just so helpful for mm. mental health. It's just a really, really important part of the puzzle for a lot of people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for other people, it's like sports or writing. That's all creative, but it's I realised that I hadn't given it the time, you know, those 15, 20 years where I wasn't doing it were detrimental, that I wasn't being creative and that I should... I need creativity in my life. So, so this is
1: something that you're just going to keep doing because it's essential to you now?
0: What I've come to realise <laughs> is that I always need to be creating in some form or another. So mm-hmm. whether it's interior design, so I run Airbnbs now and I do the interior design for that and then I'll put my art in there and, you know, um running a business is creative. So I actually in the last few years have got a lot of creative energy from running that business. Mm. And it's also given me that dignity to be able to have a job because I spent 12 years, uh, Well, I did a 12-year shift of raising kids. Mm -hmm. And when my son finally went into school, that's the first five hours I'd had alone in 12 years. Apart from sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a bit of a shock. That was a year and a half ago. And at that point I thought, right, i got to get my shit together and figure out what I want to do because I've just done a 12-year shift and it was kind of everything was mapped out during that time. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit overwhelming actually to have a shift where you start, finally kind of go, oh, um, I, need to- I need to do something with my <laughs> life. And I just literally spent all my 30s doing one thing mm. And there's absolutely no point getting stuck into projects when you've got toddlers crawling everywhere and, you know, drawing on my artwork or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's all sorts in here. <laughs> I have, oh. That's why I have to cover it up with black. Because the kids come and scribble stuff, <laughs> write me notes and things. Hold on, yeah. you know, your kids. So I've got a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. Okay. So they're still pretty youngish. You know, yeah. I'm still kind of in the thick of it. I've got four kids tearing around my house right now because... Uh, Always kids coming and going. And so there's a huge chunk of my life that's just like trying to corral these kids, (laughs) you know.
1: Well, with the experience of being like their mom for this
0: time, does it get easier over time or... Uh, it just changes it it, no I am kind of thinking oh I might enjoy them being teenagers this is looking promising (laughs) but um, there's Mm. other things that you have to handle and you realize they start challenging you in different ways like verbally like questioning your parenting and you know it just starts getting very uh wow they observe you it's like my life is a show that they're watching, oh, that they're yeah. having to be part of, whether they like it or not. And they start picking up on stuff. And then you realize I'm being watched because now they're at a point where they can make observations about me. Yeah. My, like, oh, yeah. Uh, totally different type of challenge.
1: Yeah. You know, that's true. Wow. And they
0: articulate it and they're very observant about my behaviors. Mm. And I realize, wow, shit, I've got to make sure I, I'm at least trying to deal with my own junk because they're not missing a beat. Mm. They see it all. So, if you like that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) that's something,
1: you know, I don't have kids, so that's something you don't even realise, right? But seeing now, it's like, yeah, I can see exactly what you're saying. But like, okay, so you, you started the charcoal thing five years ago and it's like usually wild animals. Do you... Kinda what's the process of making one? Like what's the process of making this guy here?
0: Have you ever renovated a kitchen? No. Right. I'm not handy at all. It's shameful. Okay. (laughs) Anyone who's ever renovated a kitchen. Mm will know that at the end of it you look and you think I don't quite know how that happened and if someone asked me to do it again I'd probably say no (laughs) that that's the process no I'm serious anyone who's renovated a kitchen will know this process and you get to the end you're like fucking hell how the heck did that happen (laughs) and I don't know if I could do that again if someone asked me and that's the same you get to the end and you think I actually have no idea how that happened (laughs) um because it's just a series of fortunate accidents Mm. and there's a few techniques i could give you like a handful of techniques that i'm like well this usually works and that usually works but ultimately i have absolutely no idea how the finished product
1: but when you start out you know what it wants it, you know i've what got an idea like oh like. yeah
0: i want to draw a tiger um roaring and i have a concept in mind which mm. usually changes throughout the process but basically um I apply the techniques that I know. And I'm always asking myself, like, where's the light coming from? Because that will affect every aspect of the, mm. the you know, the the shading and all of that. So where's the light coming from? And I also tell myself, you're drawing a shape. Don't think tiger, think shape, because your mind can take over. So I often drew my art upside down. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that difficult? No, because that part of my mind that wants to dictate what this should look like is switched off. And then I'm drawing a shape and then I turn it around and I'm like, okay, this is heading in the right direction. So I'll often flip it from being upside down to the right way up because I'm trying to disconnect the parts of my brain that are trying to control the process. So Um, like
1: with the tiger, what shapes do you look for? Like what circles? I don't know.
0: Well, if I was flipping this upside down, I'm going to be drawing this shape, but if it's the right way up, I might have way more kind of inclination about it's just there's you're more likely to dictate. I just like the fact that when you flip it the other way, it's it's more instinctive
2: um
0: you're kind of surrendering
1: yeah it reduces overthinking in a way right
0: exactly Uh,
1: so you're closing down that part of your brain that wants to
0: overthink yeah so i mean so those techniques are important and putting in a thousand hours if you put a thousand hours into anything you're going to get something as a result but Mm. ultimately most people that then like i'll listen to someone who's uh mastered music and i'm like how the fuck do they do that um because but they would probably be like i don't actually kind of know like they put in their time but there's a bit of magic in there as well where they Mm -hmm. don't actually know how it happened (laughs) so there's a mystery yeah
1: yeah, even to myself
0: and i definitely look at my art sometimes i'm like i don't know how i did that
1: they look great you know they look great i guess that's why i called you abigail wolf
0: I'd- <laughs> I'd I love it. I much prefer that. Yeah. Because
1: uh, look, there's a wolf on your um Instagram. Yeah,
0: yeah. I do like, I'm partial to wolves. There Why? is something. Well, I like, just, uh there's a mystery about them. And that's part of my philosophy behind the art is that I want to do animals in a non sentimental way because it's very easy to be sentimental with animal art for Mm. it to look sentimental you know to have the mane of the horse blowing in the wind and all this stuff so I wanted to do it like very contemporary very Um, raw and unfiltered and they're just looking directly at you for the most part. Most of them are just looking and it's like they've come out of the shadows and then they're just going to disappear again and you just get this little glimpse for Mm. a moment. And so with the wolves, I like capturing that because it's like they've come out from the gloom and... They are just peeking at you and then and and really kind of the story behind it is we don't actually know much about these wild animals. We think that we do, but they've got a whole other existence that we mm-hmm. have no understanding of. And I kind of want art at its best, I think, changes the atmosphere of a room. So good art you know, you can go to Ikea and get art or whatever, but original art that's weird and quirky and different, it actually affects the atmosphere in a room. Mm. And so for me, the presence of either, sometimes I do humans and a lot of the time I do animals. Mm. My kind of uh, goal is that they would alter the atmosphere of a room and bring a certain presence to that room, Mm. which is why I like the black because it's so intense and it's so brooding. And to me, black isn't a colour, it's an atmosphere. Oh, oh I'm, Ooh, I'm gonna steal that one. Isn't it good? <laughs> Put that on that your t shirt. <laughs> black isn't a colour, it's an isn't atmosphere. It's an atmosphere, really.
1: It's true. um, it's true. I, I, that's why know, I wear black. Yeah, I, I wear black a lot too, but I don't know
0: why. Anyway. <laughs> no, but I love this. Psychedelics, which I'm really into, and paranormal, absolutely. Yeah. I'm all over that. Um, it's paranormal, is
1: like ghosts and stuff, right? No, no,
0: more. Well, uh, i don't know how you, ufo sounds like a bit hokey but you know i love that concept
1: there's a show called ancient aliens do you know oh this? yes baby. <laughs> i love that shit
0: I, i'm I, all over that yeah yeah i love it too yeah
1: I, I, um so i'm always recording it and then when i have time just I just go
0: on netflix it's there permanently
1: He's on Netflix now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I love all the like Bob Lazar and uh Commander Fraser. What are Fra- the, there's,
1: there's a guy. He his name is. He's, he has like a Greek name, with weird hair.
0: Oh my gosh! Is he the one on Ancient Aliens? Yeah, he's got the, got the most incredible. Like if a woman had that hair, she'd be like, <laughs> oh. "It's like." Woo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's I, a he's a character. He's I don't like. Know what he's called. He's
1: like the main well, I don't know if he's the main guy but he he's like he's
0: like the face of Asian yeah aliens. yeah yeah he looks like he's been just slightly electrocuted <laughs> yes, that the first awesome. I'm talking
1: about anyway but yeah I love that because I, I, I like black a lot and when people say why do I like black I'm like it, you know it's it's pretty straightforward like it's unique to itself and like it's Socks in everything, that's why I like black because, yeah. like, whether wherever you put black, like, whatever color you put black, like, whatever other color you wear, black just sucks it in. Yeah, it,
0: that's because it's an atmosphere.
1: Yeah, so so that's I'm gonna steal that one. It's true, black is not a
0: color, it's an atmosphere. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why, and charcoal is as black as black can get, mm. so there's no other kind of medium that I've worked with. Obviously I could use black oil, but then it kind of reflects and it's got its own texture. Mm. But a dense matte black is so intense that to me what it it really conveys is what I want, which is an animal emerging out of the gloom, mm. out of the shadows to present themselves just for a fleeting moment and then they're gone and you don't own them. You you've got no idea about their little subculture. Mm. And you know, just that awareness that we're not alone. There's a whole different set of beings walking around this earth mm-hmm. that have their own way of living. And we have very little limited understanding of what their world looks like. We like to think that we know what's going on, but actually we don't, which huh. is the same with the paranormal stuff yeah, and the ancient um, cultures and all of that that I just find fascinating. Um, oh yeah. How long would it take to make one? So it's, like, probably five to seven hours. Wow. Yeah. What you think? go of?
1: street? Who? Like, street, seven hours, or do you think? No, breaks? no, I'll
0: do it for three or four hours and then make dinner and then try and be doing it while I'm making dinner and then burn the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah, it's a shit show. <laughs> so, um, yeah.
1: Um, oh, wait, and you draw kind of, like, on, on boards, right? Yeah. It, does it make... This that weird sound when you, when you, yes,
0: and it's dirty, and have, the whole house gets dirty. And then I'll go out to the shops, and I've literally, I look like a chimney sweep, and I'll have charcoal on my face. And I don't know why people are looking at me weird. Oh, yeah, I've picked up my kids from play dates, and their mums are like, Uh, have you checked out what you look like? Because i have literally charcoal streaked across my face, and I look like a chimney sweep. So, yeah. w- do you like create your own charcoal, or do you, no, no, I just buy it's buy, compressed, yeah, from Disease. it's compressed charcoal so it's very dense oh yeah yeah okay, okay. and i use conte which is a white form of charcoal which is for the fine hairs and like fine that. detail yeah yeah just little flicks little i like to have it kind of emerging from the shadows but also a bit of back light as well so mm. some things that are catching the light that's kind of new newer technique
1: so you're telling me and and i i, I really don't believe this one though When I think when it comes to drawing, like you can put you have to have it in you, really. Because like, even if I try for one thousand hours, I'm not going to be able to make this. Right. I don't think so. Because like, I try to draw.
0: I'm the same about music. Like, I'll look at a musician and go, and it's probably true that I've been dealt a certain set of cards. That's my biology. My parents were both artists. I'm going to have a disposition towards being, and i can either take that up or not mm. you still have to put the time in i agree that's unavoidable mm-hmm. but i think there's definitely certain talents like my kids now draw and they are kind of the best drawers in their class or whatever and so <laughs> it's like, okay that card has been dealt to them as well yeah but i think what i'm starting to realize as i hit like 41 now mm. is that I've got this set of cards and I feel a sense of responsibility to do something with them I don't want to bury the talent as people Mm. say and and what other cards are there like what else do I have a responsibility to actually use and not overlook and ignore because I'm at that kind of midway point where I I've done this for 40 years I I got to be 40 for I got 40 years of being young and now I get 40 years of like being old, which is whose idea was that? (laughs) But anyway, I do. There is this benchmark where I'm like, God, what else? What else is there? You know, I feel like I need to take stock of the cards that I was dealt. What are you going to do with them? Mm. Are you, and are there hidden cards in the pack and you won't find out what they are until you press through And so I'm also exploring that because I feel like with the art, I don't know where else it could go artistically. But um, what else is there? What other things that I wouldn't know that I'm good at until I start exploring? Okay.
1: Talking of exploring things you're good at, how did you get into the Airbnb thing?
0: That was, was, what was that? We had an in-law suite attached to our home. And the renters handed in their notice. And at the time, Airbnb had just come on the scene and we thought, well, now's the time to give it a go and see if it works. And it took off. So now I'm by this spring, I'll be running five of them Uh, because we ended up buying a downtown uh, apartment building. And each one, as people hand their notice in, we just turn it into an Airbnb. So that's Mm. become and that's been amazing because it means that I can still work from home. I can still do the art. And I've still got time to pursue these other interests. Mm. Um, it's just been incredible. So and yeah. is,
1: Do you notice that it's seasonal, especially with Fast? Well, like- this
0: winter, I did six-month rentals throughout the winter. Oh. And then I'll do six-month Airbnb in the summer because that's the peak season. And winter is a lot quieter, but people are so desperate for rentals here. You're renting, a, you know, we're renting out a fully furnished, all bills included, Wi Fi, Netflix, and people are like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> you can literally put whatever price you want on that and people will go for it because they're so desperate for okay. rentals. So okay. that's, but now what I'm thinking is, okay, if I've got all winter, I've got six months every winter where all of those are on a six month rent. I've got time on my hands. Summers are mental because I've got <laughs> you know, all of these Airbnbs that I'm cleaning for. I am, yeah, It's nuts. Yeah. But I'm looking at my winters going, I've got time and space here to be more creative and to look down whatever avenue I can think of to see what else am I going to do? Like, um, What are some of the things you're thinking of doing? At first I was like, do I write a book? Do I write a screenplay for a movie? Do I start a podcast? Which is why I approached you because I'm thinking about that. Um, so those are the kind of ideas that I've got ruminating. But I've got to overcome a lot of my own uh, inhibitions to pursue any of those, you know,
1: like what what would be i guess why wouldn't you just go ahead and do it cuz i'm not
0: like you cuz you just don't you're not afraid of failure i know you're not afraid of failure yeah. i am and i'm a terrible self critic and uh i just find um taking risks like that really really difficult cuz i'm a perfectionist i would never f- say a piece of art's finished unless I think it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And that's my gold standard, right? So you would never show like a process photo like would you ever yeah, do like on my instagram I'll see like oh halfway through a piece because I'm confident that it's going exactly to I be exactly how I want by the end and it is but that's the way I operate like I'm not going to put my name on anything that I don't think's like top quality right yeah. so with the say if I started a podcast I'm instantly kind of feeling like what if I can't find people to interview what if I'm not good at it what if I run out of energy for it and enthusiasm and I could just talk myself out of anything, but I do feel <laughs> like life is pushing me in this direction where yeah. you've got to just do this. And, and part of the process is me facing some of these fears of mine.
1: But also when it comes to your art, you've been doing it all of your life. So right. so it's obvious. Uh, there are obvious reasons why you can make this art. Like, oh, I can't make it. Right. But all these other things, you haven't really done any of them. So it is it okay to like, not be this level good at those things. Yes.
0: Well, that's that's a really good way of looking at it. It's just I struggle to look at it that way. Okay. And And um, I I struggle to like believe that my enthusiasm for something will keep it going through the times where I feel like it's not working. If you were
1: gonna write a book, what would you write
0: about? Oh, I think it would be my story. Like I feel like I've got a story to tell. Mm-hmm. In that. I've been, I've had to like, for example, coming off antidepressants, I was on those for five years. And so a huge part, I've also deconverted from Christianity, which has also been a de- real... Deconverted? I've never heard of it. Deconverted? Yeah, oh, a- so hip, darling. <laughs> um, so basically... So on- you were like, what, Catholic or... No, no. Um, I suppose you'd call it evangelical. I was brought up in a very religious environment. And uh, in the last like 10 years, I've started to unravel from my faith. Because... I just, there was too many holes in the story and just too many, too many, you know what people say like, oh, have you lost your faith? And I would say, no, I'm free from my faith because it was such a burden for me having a faith. And Mm. I felt like... I was never good at it anyway. I was never a good Christian. I was rubbish. Oh, terrible. Just terrible. It was just better for everyone if I'm just not a Christian.
1: Um, lousy, lousy Christian. I think when it comes to religion and everything, right, I think it, it's just a, It's about belief, really, because wh- whatever religion a person is in, there's no concrete thing. Like, you can't... Like, if you are, say, Christian, evangelical, whatever, like, you can't touch God, right? There's, like, nothing concrete there. So, whoever is in any type of religion has to just default to believing that that's what it is. And when a person gets to a point where they're like, but, like, why, (laughs) you know? Like, why do I have to believe in this thing? Then that's where you get to a point where there's no logical answers
0: right well underneath it everyone's agnostic because no one really knows and so once you start unraveling that and really understanding actually no one really has the answer it's incredibly freeing Mm. but i think one of the pitfalls for me with religion is these absolutes like absolute faith absolute concrete belief that, that there is an afterlife and that god is speaking to me and so for me feeling like a lousy christian who never heard from god who had major doubts i'm like (laughs) i don't believe it's concrete and as Mm. it started to unravel i felt more and more free from the restrictions of having to the guilt you know the feeling of like i should be doing this and i should be doing that and it's so incredibly freeing to walk away from that Mm. and go i don't have to believe that anymore because i struggled so much to believe it um uh, so that journey has been so profound because I think that the key part of it is taking responsibility for my own life. Because mm. the easiest thing to do when you have a faith is to say, God's going to provide. We're just waiting on the Lord. He's going to give us an answer. We're not going to do anything until he has the final word. Mm. You end up just doing nothing because you're waiting for something like some writing in the sky or some prophecy and it's been incredibly important for me to like take responsibility for my mental health, take responsibility for my life here rather than defaulting to think, oh, it's okay, I've got eternity. Mm. If that was a hard decade, who cares? It's a speck in the ocean compared to eternity. Well, when you suddenly wake up and realise, fuck, I might only live till I'm 80 and that's it. There's no sequel. Mm. Like when you grow up believing that you've got eternity, it's amazing how apathetic you can be. (laughs) Because you've got eternity. Like, who cares if you have a hard decade? It doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. When
0: you realise you might only have 80 years and you're already 40 years into it,
2: mm.
0: suddenly you think, gosh, what am I going to do with the next 40 years? Mm. And then suddenly life feels so short and so precious and... You feel much more in touch with your uniqueness rather than this idea that you are part of one big body of Christ or whatever it is Mm. and that actually you should become less so that he can become more. And it's a lot of it is loss of identity because... Much of religion is based on you understanding that you're wretched and worthless without God and then grace only works if you really understand how wretched you are. So you have to have that part first before mm-hmm. grace means anything. But that part is can be really destructive. And so for me to be able to go... I've only got 40 more years and it's like I'm building this sandcastle that's going to slowly be washed away. And mm-hmm. if I'm lucky, I might leave a f- few pebbles for my kids, a legacy that maybe the afterlife is the legacy you leave behind. You know, you think of people like Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Mandela. They left something behind and they'll be remembered forever because of what they did here. Mm-hmm. And it- For me, that's been incredibly sobering and liberating because now I'm no longer thinking, well, what does it matter what happens in this life? Now I'm like, fucking hell, man, I haven't got much time and I want to leave a few pebbles behind. And this idea of building something that, you know, this sandcastle, no matter how much I work on it, It's slowly slipping through my fingers, but it's slow enough that I have an opportunity to appreciate it. If I have my wits about me, Mm. Um, that that idea that initially would have felt quite depressing because it's just like, well, that's a bit melancholy. Um, We lose our sense of urgency when we think we've got eternity But when you realise you might only have X amount of years, Mm. all of a sudden, whatever you've got in your hands that's very slowly slipping through your fingers, you look at it in an entirely different way. And so for me, the key to all of that has been taking responsibility. Like everywhere I turn, it's like I've started going to the gym, started eating healthy, you know, the art thing, um, listening to podcasts because I want to learn. All of those things are as a result of me losing my faith. So it's actually been a very hopeful experience. Um, but you see,
1: you just found another way to take care of the getting things perfect before you do it by saying this is the time I have. So in this time, I'm going to write a book or write a screenplay or start a
0: podcast or whatever too. Yeah. Well, it's pushing me in that direction, right? The more I take responsibility for my life, the more I'm backed into a corner and I've got no choice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Fucking annoying. (laughs) Because everything in me wants to wriggle out of this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just like, damn it, man. Like, life is forcing me. The more responsibility I take, the more I'm forced to like, you better leave some pebbles behind. Mm. And what are you going to leave? And just how are you going to live your life? And it's... It is a responsibility, but that's the only way for me through mental health struggle is like that is the key to rehabilitate. If you if I didn't want to be on Zoloft all my life, what did I have to do? I have to. That's the band aid. That was the band aid for me. And it was very, very useful for that period of time mm. when I didn't have the capacity to take responsibility. Little kids, you know, it's not going to happen now. I'm like oh God, I've got to put these certain key things in place in order to actually have good mental health. Mm. Um, so to me, that's like the foundation of how I move. it. It's not, a, mental health for me isn't a gift, it's a discipline.
2: Mm. I have
0: to work for it. And every bit of ground I gain is because I worked hard to get there.
1: Putting in the work yeah. to get where you want to get to. Yeah. I like that approach. yeah. It. You're just giving me things to copy today, so I'm super grateful. But um, I want to keep this going, but we're running out of time. So, <laughs> so, so um, I'm gonna have you come back. Oh, okay. actually, may I come and be your first guest on your podcast? Oh, so there we go. But like um, I'm gonna end it with this question now. I mean, with all the experiences you've had, living in all these different countries, being a mom, being a wife, artist, um, I guess. How do you decide what defines you?
0: Defines me. Mm-hmm. uh what makes me, okay, define
1: what defi- Which of all these things do you see makes you makes Adega Abigail, Abigail?
0: Um oh jeez, no one's ever asked me that question. Uh. shit. <laughs> um what makes me me? I uh, <laughs> I'm into weird shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of quirky. Like, what makes me me is, uh, well, trying to be authentic and transparent about whatever I'm going through at that time. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, authenticity, vulnerability would be the core. Like, I'm getting my ass kicked daily by trying to live vulnerably and honestly. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that's like Brene Brown, who I love her quotes. That's about being in the arena. And I would say, you know, rather than sitting on the bleachers and watching the show, I'm getting my ass in the arena, getting it kicked, no idea whether I'm going to win or lose. Mm-hmm. And I guess what makes me me is is being vulnerable about that journey and mm-hmm. just saying this isn't easy and I'm not saying my journey is easy, but um, I want to be uh, real about that process. I don't think that answered your question. It did, did it? actually. Oh, really? Okay, there yeah. we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for Ooh. coming on now, <laughs> Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much. This is the Blackout Podcast. for listening.